okay for some reason it's not okay did it just go live Okay, Angel, you can start. Thank you for tuning in to the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Angel Fall. Today's forum is called The Societal Pathogen, Gun Violence, The Cures, and The, the Culture. We are going to start with the cures today because our guest, Dr. McGee, has to leave and take care of patients. And um, what I am going to do is thank all of you who are listening live on Facebook. And thank you for uh, liking me on Facebook. And thank you for supporting the Black Talk Radio Network. We're very excited because this is the first live broadcast of Victims to Victorious from Chicago. And we're also streaming this live on Facebook. So if you are um, listening, we can also take your questions later. Let me give you an idea how we're going to be set up because Dr. McGee has to go take care of patients. We are going to talk to him first about the cures of gun to gun violence because, of course, those of you who have been following me all this time know that I believe gun violence is a social disease. It is a disease that can have preventions in place in the same way corona does. You can wash your hands and keep the pathogen from spreading. So the question for today's listeners, viewers, and followers is, how do you keep a societal pathogen from infecting a society? And that's why we're here in Chicago, where the gun violence numbers are extraordinary. They mimic that of Beirut, Lebanon, some type of war. And of course, whenever there is a marginalized, marginalized group, black and brown people are overrepresented. And I do disclose that I'm African-American and Latino, so I understand some of the culture and social pressures that allow us to find ourselves in this position. So um, you will have a Q&A. Uh, uh, you will be able to send in your questions uh, starting. I'm a little confused about the time because this is central time. We're going to take a break uh, central time at about 1.20, and then we'll rejoin at 1.25. We will hear from uh, Kwabena to talk about the culture of violence. And then after he speaks for about 20 minutes or so, we will open it up for Q&A. And this is um, how we're going to start. So I'm going to ask, because we are on Zoom, and we do have a live audience, but because we're on Zoom, I'm going to ask each guest to introduce themselves so that the focus will be on them. So I'm going to start with Dr. McGee to my left. Thank you. Miss Amy, pleasure to be here. So my name is Dr. Mike McGee, just a little bit of my background. Uh, I'm from Gary, Indiana. Um, went to Purdue University and left Purdue and actually went to University of Illinois. I don't think uh, Miss Angel knew this. Uh, went to U of I, UIC and got a master's in public health, uh, specifically epidemiology and biostats. I left there and went to Rush. And after I left Rush, I left all of Midwest and went to New York, trained at uh, NYU uh, in emergency medicine. My first job coming out was actually uh, a job at Emory and Grady in Atlanta. And so essentially, I've been around trauma centers all my lives. And so basically, I've, 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 I've seen all types of injuries. I've seen all types of gunshots, uh, victims. And so um, I've been there right in the middle of it. Uh, when I left Emory, um, I had to leave because my mother, who was a nurse for 30 years, 
uh, actually uh, developed uterine cancer and died within three months. And so I moved back to Indiana and took a job at Methodist Hospital in Gary and Maryville, Indiana. Um, within uh, a, a year, uh, I became the chief of the ER. And in 2008 is when I took care of my first gunshot victim, who was the young man from Roosevelt High School who got shot while playing football and was at practice. He had just gotten into an altercation about a week before that, and some young men saw him in pass on the field and shot him three times. You know, And, and at that point, he lived, he did well, but it, it struck me. And after that, that was before the epidemic of violence had gotten to where it is now. And since then, it's been, it's been uh, plentiful. Uh, after that, I started an organization called Pop on Youth Violence, which means Project Outreach and Prevention. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later. But here we are in 2000, uh, 2020, and now I'm doing a whole bunch of things. Um, one of the things I do want to mention before I introduce you guys to one of my uh, protégés who's here, who I'm very proud of, is in addition to what I just mentioned, I'm also the uh, CEO of Premier Urgent Care, which is right here in Hyde Park in Chicago. Uh, we're there with um, Dr. Greg Premis, who's an ex-Chicago Bears player. And that facility is beautiful. There's a sports arena right there. And that's the place where we're inviting all the youth in Chicago, once they come and get tested for COVID, to come and have a place to go and play and have a safe environment uh, to, to have fun now that we're locked down from COVID. And so uh, the other hat that I wear is I'm a member of 100 Black Men of Chicago, and I specifically was the COVID chairperson uh, for a series of, of, of virtual meetings we just had in the spring. I am now the chair for 100 Black Men of America's first violence prevention action committee. And so in the past, 100 Black Men was all about mentoring our youth and trying to make a better product. Because of the inherent epidemic of violence, I've gotten them to pivot and now include violence prevention in the narrative. Every kid in every organization needs to have discussions on violence prevention, conflict resolution, domestic violence, everything that's out there that can lead to these bad behaviors so that now we can prevent it before it starts. My last hat that I, that I, that I wear, and I'm going to introduce uh, Dr. Pratt in a second, is the American College of Emergency Physicians is an organization of 40,000 ER docs all over the country. They have a, 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 a committee or section called Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity. We're hot now. Everybody wants a piece of us and wants us to give recommendations for anything Black or diverse. And so luckily, this past October at our Denver conference, I introduced a proposal and they took me up on it. They formed the first ever Firearm Violence and Injury Prevention Committee for the American College of Emergency Physicians under our Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity section. And with that, we have multiple different uh, docs and experts in the field who are on this committee. We have a liaison uh, to the committee, which consists of surgeons and trauma surgeons from University of Chicago, Dr. Brian Williams, Dr. Ken Wilson. We, we even have Dr. Omar Danner out of Morehouse and Grady in Atlanta, who's another expert who's done white papers on violence prevention. And so we're teed up to make a difference. We're ready to, to present how it can be done on a, from a public health perspective to prevent this world spread epidemic of violence. And so with that, I want to pivot and introduce you to a young man who is from the area. I'll let you, him tell you about himself. He's experienced tragedy. He's done out and went to University of Chicago, which is a top program 
He's an ER doctor. He just finished his residency. He's now working in the ER, but yet he's still in these streets, y'all. He's still out here doing some things for our youth to prevent the nonsense and also teaching them basic life-saving skills. So without further ado, Dr. Abdullah Pratt. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, that opportunity. I want to appreciate appreciate everybody for having me on today. Uh, as uh, Dr. McGee said, my name is Abdullah Pratt. Uh, I'm also an emergency room physician as well at the University of Chicago. I hail from Chicago South Side. I've also lived on the West Side. I've done school in Northwest Indiana, but I've done all of my training at the University of Chicago. But my biggest passion lies with the streets, and my biggest goal in life is to decrease the decree of death on the Black community by any means necessary regardless of whether that means us dying too early from hypertension, diabetes, things like poor nutrition, we can't read food labels in our country, in our society, in our community, we lack in every single measure that you look at when it comes to how we're doing in terms of our health and violence is no different than that. Unfortunately, we don't see violence that way, but the same way a great top-notch researcher may focus on asthma prevention, in terms of their work, if that's the expertise, or endocrinologists may focus on diabetes prevention. That's the same way those of us who are in this field space that deal with emergencies and traumas and gun violence need to approach how we fight that. And we have to deal with the preventative aspect. So what we're talking about when we say preventative is conflict resolution. Most of the violence that we see on these streets deal mostly with, you know, bang, bang interactions. He say, she say, misunderstandings and nobody can back down and say, you know what, today's not the day. I got children at home. I got to deal with some other things. Listen, man, you can have it. I'm sorry. Whatever the case is, it was a misunderstanding. Unfortunately, we also have gun violence and that comes from gangs as well. Uh, even though those seem to be the minority of cases that we're going to deal with, unfortunately, they dominate the headlines and the news. And today's weekend has been no difference. We are now sitting in the wake of the tragic murder of a high profile um, rapper by the name of FBG Duck, and the whole city of Chicago has been put on notice because of the feared ramifications in the streets that that may have. And so what we're talking about are retaliations. We're talking about worrying about innocent bystanders and young children being caught up in the crossfire. And we're worried mostly about the families and what kind of traumas that those traumas that we're talking about today are going to end up resulting in. And so as we look at this problem of gun violence, we have to remember that all traumas beget more traumas. So these same children that are losing fathers and mothers to the streets, those are the same children that if we're not doing anything, if we're not creating programming around it, they're gonna grow up and be even worse perpetrators than their parents were. I myself am in that position right now. My closest friend in life was just murdered this past um, June. And so we're still reeling and he has children. My older brother was murdered when I was a medical student and training to be a physician. And so he has children. So all of these children that are walking around the streets of Chicago are unfortunately walking around without any resources to deal with the traumas that they're going through, without any national headlines about what we're going to do about that. Just the negative, just the constant duration of bad, 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 Chicago's horrible, violence is bad, but nobody's stepping up to say, use that same energy to fight those issues. So those of us that you see up here on this panel are heavily invested and have invested our whole careers in our own little way to try to figure out how to do that. More specifically in you all's communities, you may see me or you know, if you want to see me, I do a lot of gunshot wound workshops via Stop the Bleed, where we try to equip our community members with the skills that they need to, re to respond and to react in the scenarios where someone is shot before help arrives. So when you're waiting on an ambulance and it seems like every minute and every second is forever, 
there are things that we can be doing in certain situations to try to help save our loved ones or bystanders life. And so we teach those skills. We also teach any emergency preparedness, whether it's how to deal with a head injury, a stroke, heart attacks, all of the things that our communities lead the country in terms of worse health outcomes in, we here as physicians, myself, Dr. McGee and others are on the front lines trying to equip the community so that the community can be its own solution to this problem. Because for generations, we've waited for some sweet chariot to swoop down and save us and it hasn't happened. And there's no evidence that shows that it will happen regardless of what goes on. So as the community continues to fight, we're gonna try to meet the community halfway to fight with them. The same way we fight in those ERs and trauma bays to save the lives of the patients that we serve every day. And if you want to see any of us in your community, your schools, your local high schools, we run programming. We're trying to create the next generation of doctors and healthcare leaders while training them up. If you want your staff, your church, your faculty to also have these kind of trainings to be able to respond, as well as the PTSD and the post-traumatic stress training around trauma-informed care, you can reach out to myself or Dr. McGee and we'd be happy to, to talk about those things and help keep fighting the good fight. It's what we hear every day in mass media. And, you know, if you've listened to Black Talk Media Network and uh, project, we're, we talk about it periodically on Brother Scotty. But we focus on this media, this music, this culture. Culture, as we know, is defined as a people's way of life. How we prepare for our unborn to how we bury our dead and everything in between. And a major part of this culture is our music. And so if the music that our children are listening to, that our people are listening to, that's being force-fed to them, constantly demeans and dehumanizes them, tells them to be on illicit drugs, tells them to be selfish, to hate women, to hate themselves by dropping N-bombs on them, by calling our sisters, our daughters, B's and H's constantly. What do we expect? Then it programs us also, it brags about it, and encourages us to shoot and kill each other. And with the Clear the Airways Project, which is a project with a basic simple goal, and our goal is to get that violent, vulgar, pornographic music off these radio stations that specifically target our children. It's been a struggle because we know the power of mass media, and we also know that evidently, obviously, they hate us. And while we understand that there's a lot of issues that we have and that we are um, not responsible for all those issues, like the brother just said, like the doctor just said, we are responsible for making a change, for stopping it. We have to be our own solution. So those are some of the things that we're doing, and I'll, I'll talk more about it. But again, I'm from, I was born in L.A., uh, grew up in L.A., went to school in Louisiana, talk about the hotspots. <laughs> been living in Gary for quite a while now, talking about the hotspots, and that's part of the Chicago area. But the fratricide has been taking place in Gary for years and years. It's been crazy. Doc, I remember when the brother was shot at football practice. That was, wow, you mean your first case there? That was, that was ridiculous. So, but this music, we have radio stations in Chicago, not just in Chicago, but all around the country. And all they do is play music about shooting and killing people. This is Sunday morning. And we just heard, if Young Metro don't trust you, I'm going to shoot you. We heard out west. I'm banging out west. I'm slinging out west. I got a gold-plated knife. I can shank you out west. Put the drum on my new Caltech. A drum, as we know, is a, a, a magazine for a bunch of extra ammunition. Put the drum on my new Caltech. And the other pornographic line, which is in the chorus, talks about uh, put the D in her P and now it's wet. 
That's in the chorus of the song played, uh, said three times in the song. And again, we heard that this morning. This is on the radio Sunday morning. Then right before we get here, if you got a trigger, squeeze it. The whole block outside, it's a street fest. So shoot up a street fest in Chicago on the radio, on a radio station that targets specifically black youth, telling them to shoot up a uh, street party. And this is every day, all day. They don't stop. They don't stop. The whole block's outside, it's a street fest. We'll, we'll dig, dig into more of this and talk about what we're doing as a group, as an organization, to put a stop to this, because we have to put a stop to this. We will put a stop to this. I want to thank uh, each guest, uh, Dr. Dr. Mike, um, Dr. Abdullah, and Quavena for giving us that, that lengthy intro. And because I know Dr. Um, Mike has to leave early, I'm going to begin with his question. this question. Now, um, first, I'm going to begin with explaining uh, what public health models are, and you can... Uh, you can correct me if I'm incorrect. Um, my, um, my training comes from the University of Connecticut Health Center campus in Farmington. So every, first of all, I'm gonna walk backwards from the healthcare disparity that both of you discuss. So what a healthcare disparity means is a certain group of people have the over, they're overrepresented and they have the burden of the disease. There are more incidents of certain cases of diseases among certain groups of people. So within healthcare disparities, African-American and Latino people are overrepresented, for instance, in the comorbidities of high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes, for instance. So those, that's some of the language that we're using to discuss this. Now, when Dr. Abdullah says that uh, violence should be, um, should be researched the way cancer and other diseases are researched, we know that years and years ago, the Republican uh, lobbyists and senators made it Im virtually impossible for the Centers for Disease Control to, to do this type of research unhindered. So what we need to know now is how we can circumvent this. And I like both of the guests, all three of the guests talking about self-empowerment. We're as African-American people, we've often looked to the government to help and solve our problems. I graduated from Howard University and so did one of the audience guests, uh, Ms. Hudson. And um, one of the things that you see when you go to class at Howard University is you actually see photographs of freed slaves who walk from Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia camped around the Union Army. And some of the titles in the photographs, or if you see the narrative, they say, Mr. Lincoln is going to take care of us. So I'm, I think we're a, little, we're a little bit out, we're a little bit removed from that, but the mentality that we are in the custody of the, the larger Eurocentric world or the yard, larger Eurocentric centric society keeps us from solving our own problems. So one of, the, one of my tenets is gun violence is a disease and it can be solved with prevention. During the coronavirus, you are washing your hands more than usual. So that is a simple prevention. So with African-American men who are at the highest risk, I want to hear from both doctors about a prevention. Now, one thing I want the audience to understand is that white men do get shot. I don't focus on white men because most white men who get shot have shot themselves. There's also a difference in the gun that they use. Virtually all African-American, all African-American, African-American, male homicides, a small arm is used, a nine millimeter or a 38. White men are often known to also use a long gun, a shotgun or a rifle. So those are some of the alarming statistics. So going back to, to the far, we're, we're going to the left here with Dr. McKee. First, I want you to say, uh, tell the audience 
What do you think is a reasonable prevention? What are some of the things that you're suggesting that we do differently so we're not victimized over and over again? So, Ms. Angel, if I begin to answer that question, we'd be here all day. Because as it stands, um, prevention is, is something that must be comprehensive and universal. And, and be, before I should get into... Um, so so, so um, to answer that question uh, would be very, very difficult and it would take at least uh, maybe two days. Um, it's untapped. Uh, multiple, um, you know, uh, organizations, eight cities tried it uh, and we're still nowhere. Violence has been going on since begun beginning of time. Um, youth violence and, and gun violence has been going on since, like I said, around 2000, where it got really, really out of range in, in 2008 is when it got really ridiculous and our youth were being affected. But to really understand that and to really know what we need to do, you got to look back for a minute. How do we even get here? Number one, um, what's the historical uh, world data in terms of where we are with, with, with violence? United States not only lead in terms of the number of people dying from COVID, the number of people who have the highest cases of COVID, we also lead in the number of people who had mass shootings ever. We lead in the number of people who have died from senseless gun violence when you compare us to every other developed country. We also lead in the number of people who died from suicide. And by the way, it's not just white people now. Black people, Hispanics, Indians are dying from suicide as well. And the single predictor of that is they have guns. Guns have, the number of guns have increased dramatically over years. When Obama came in, everybody thought he was trying to take their guns away. So what they do? They bought more guns. COVID is here. And in the middle of a lockdown, when everybody is locked in, essential stores that were open were gun stores. So people were out buying guns ad nauseum. And so now you've got all these angry people out here who has had things happen in their life. And it's not just people from the hood. It's people who are everyday people, who are angry, who lost their job, who has despair, they're feeling hopeless, and they're angry. And there's no, no resolve. People are quick to pull a trigger. We just had a young man in uh, Texas to shoot somebody at Burger King because they took too long. This young woman was in line, got into an argument with the young man at the counter. The young man gave the lady her $41 back. She went and got her boyfriend who came back up, got into a fight with the 20-year-old and shot the dude and killed the dude. It makes no sense. And so when you ask, what can you do? Well, first off, it has to be a universal way of doing it. Congress has to do, make some action. It has to, to start from the top down. And in regards to research, as you just said, uh, Miss, Miss, Miss Angel, research hasn't been done. There hasn't been funding for, for research to take place to even measure the impact of where we are in years. Just recently in February 2019, they introduced a, a bill to give $25 million uh, to the CDC and the National Institute of Health for research. That's the first time ever in years. They also, at that time, introduced information on a... a, a um, an act to, to do something about simple gun control. 
basically saying everybody should have a license and should go through the proper protocol. That's sitting right in Congress because the Senate didn't act. And then they also said, let's do simple things. If let's do extreme measures. If you know that a, a man is beating his wife, has been to jail, has a gun, let's take his freaking gun away. That's not even happening in certain states. And so those same measures are just sitting in Congress. So if you ask me what needs to be done first, is Congress need to get off their butt and do what they need to do. And with that being said and done, there's hope on the horizon, right? We can change what happens in Congress by simply voting. Everybody's out here protesting against domestic violence and police brutality and people dying. Just go and vote. Make a difference. Get everybody out. Get your friends out. I don't care who you don't like because you think they may not be the, the, the proper candidate for you. You go for what you think is going to make the most difference in terms of enhancing these, our kids' lives. And that means we got to get whom, who's ever in there now, we got to get that fool out because things are not happening the way they should be. We should have laws. And Congresswoman Robin Kelly, and I mentioned her name because she's been involved with several different things that we've done, has been the first person from Congress to, to introduce laws and, and a, a how-to book. She wrote the white pages on how to prevent violence. It's called the Kelly Report. This was introduced about 10 years ago, and that didn't go anywhere. She was saying simple things like, let's make this a public health problem. Let's the Surgeon General do white papers and show the impact in urban and suburban communities. Let's show people what they need to know so they can make a difference and nothing happened. She also said, let's have smart guns. Let's have a gun that will, if it's not the owner, it'll cut off and it won't shoot. Let's do some things where you can fingerprint bullets. So if someone shoots somebody, then you know where that bullet came from. So these are simple things that could have been done that hasn't been done that could be done. So first you start with that. And then you also want to look at, well, what does public health approach mean? Well, it's well-defined. It's basically you define the problem and the impact. An example for that, the number one killer for young black men ages 10 to 24 is homicide from guns. The number two killer for Hispanic men aged 10 to 24 is homicide from guns. That's a stat that should make you think we are headed towards involuntary genocide. We're killing ourselves. And a, 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 a um, quote that I like to see is, you got police killing us. And not a large percent. It's a very small percent. But no one should die in the hands of police. Okay? Police are good. I love them. I have intentional killings by having a gun inside the situation. So we got to recognize that and we got to do things to prevent that. That's not happening. And so with the problem and the impact, now the next time a young man has an opportunity to shoot another young man, he may think, man, I'm adding to that stat that Dr. McGee just talked about. I'm about to shoot another black man who looks like me. The same thing with the young man who's killing and shooting at young kids in the park. If you think back in the past, there were a code about shooting when there were kids around. If you want somebody that bad, wait another day. Wait when there are not kids around. If you're going to do that horrible thing. But by all means, think about it. The next time you're about to spray some kids on a park, think, man, that could have been me when I was eight. Man, that could be my child right now next week. And so right now, our heart goes out. That could have been me 
when I got shot at when I was nine years old, when I was trespassing in Gary, going across a barbed wire fence, me and my cousin, and I listened to my cousin said, let's take the shortcut. We weren't stealing, but we were walking to trespass an area that we shouldn't have trespassed in. The, the bullet came right past my head. The guy got in the car and tracked us down when we all ran and held a four barrier gun to my face. And when you ask me, why do I even mention that, Dr. McGee? Well, studies show that anybody who's been shot at, been shot, or witnessed a gunshot are two times the probability of doing the same thing, shooting somebody in the next two years. And so violence begins violence. And so when you see these things and you have that trauma going on, which a lot of our youth do, it's in their heads. Like, I can never forget the bullet, the gun that I saw. I can never forget that day. And I was nine. And then another time I got shot at, and I'm not even going to mention it. But the reality is, it was happening back then when I was young. And it's out of control now. We got to do something. And so knowing the problem and the impact helps, and it helps. Identifying the risks and the protective factors. Everybody who shoots somebody didn't come from the hood. There are people who just out here who angry, who got a gun, and in their head, they, 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 there's no, 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 no retribution. They're quick to shoot. And then you got to, once you figure all that out, you got to develop and test mitigation and prevention strategies. What strategies work for your city? What, what is going on right now in your city is my block, my city, my hood, is that working for you? If that works, we should go with that. If, you know, St. Sabina's pop, pain over, over um, purpose over pain, I'm sorry, purpose over pain, a, a great program for moms who lost their kid. It's a support system for mom. Pam Bosley is my, is my friend. She lost her son who was at church rehearsal and got shot going to his van and was killed instantaneously. She also formed a program called Brave for youth. So youth should be getting into every program that centers on violence. Every kid, I don't care if you think your kid is a good child and got straight A's. Let them be in these programs and know what they need to stay away from. Some of our kids who are smart and are protected, they don't know that the kid that they playing with on the next block just got into a fight with a bunch of boys and now that kid is with your kid and now those kids want to shoot that kid and your kid. So watch what your kid do. Pay attention to your kids and, and moms. When your kids do something and they shoot and kill somebody, I'm sorry, you got to turn them in. If you parents out there know your kid has killed a nine-year-old boy while he's playing basketball, who's an honor student and a basketball star, you need to turn that person in. If they're your family members, you need to turn it in. And I'm sorry, it has to be said. We can't keep protecting the ones who are the shooters, no matter what they've gone through in life. And they should get help. Schools need to recognize you can't send every kid to detention. It can't be punitive. Let's, let's do something different. Let's send them to meditation. Let's find out what's going on in that kid's life to find out that, hey, this kid got abused, saw his dad get shot, and now he's acting out. He's crying for help. Every kid don't deserve to go to detention or be suspended or have the police called in to take them to jail to now give them a record. So if these strategies work, let's use them. And last, when you get these great strategies, let's ensure widespread adoption of them. Let's let every city that has programs do the same thing. And for instance, there's a bunch of programs out there that do mentoring, that do how to be, you know, how to get to college, how to go to medical school, how to go to law school. Why don't you include a portion of your program to talk about violence prevention, 
to talk about the stats that every kid should know, to talk about the, the ways they can prevent things by conflict resolution, why not have that introduced in every program out there? And so I'm giving you the blueprint. It can't just come from a program in a hospital like at University of Chicago, where if you come in and you shot somebody and you've been shot, it's a teachable moment, right? Everybody that comes to my ER, when they had their heart attack, oh, you best believe they control their, they're going to control their blood pressure when they live through this. You can best believe that diabetic who's now in DKA and now in the ICU are now going to take better care of their, their, their sugar levels and do the right things. So now a lot of hospitals are using this method where you come in a hospital and you've been shot and you're in a game. They're going to give you everything you need. They're going to give you resources. They're going to help you out. They're going to give you, you know, a chance to get a job. That's one program that works well. It's, up, it's only in level one trauma centers. My trauma center in Gary, which is a level three at that time, which is now not anything, but we still get all the trauma, does not have that program. So we can't prevent those kids from coming in and now going back and having recidivism where that same kid that I just treated last week who was shot in the leg comes back two weeks later shot in the chest. At the same time, there's another program out there. And it's a community-based program where now you target the shooters. You know who they are. You've been watching them. You're the police. You're law enforcement. Now you get them all into a room like this. And it's a sit-in, it's a meeting where they all come, it's a call-in. And now they all come, and you have people from the community, you have an ex-gang banger who changed his life, you have a mom who lost their child, and they all get up and they, they talk about it. And so now these shooters, hearing what they're doing and the impact, and not only that, they give the shooters the opportunity to now change their life, to now say, hey, I'm going to give you a job, I'm going to relocate you from the, from the neighborhood that you were living in, I'm going to give you every reason to not go and shoot somebody or do bad things. And by the way, if you don't do this, I'm going to arrest you. Those programs work. They're in a few cities. The last program is a program called Cure Violence. It used to be Ceasefire. It started by Dr. Sluckin from University of Illinois. This program looks at the, the, the problem of, of violence as a disease. They say, okay, let's target the problem and let's go into their area. And so they have violence interrupters. These are people who are from the community who's been involved in violence, been shot, and now they know the shooters. And so now they go, before the incident happens, they could have prevented Duck from getting killed. They go in and say, hey, let's, let's not do this, bro. Let's resolve this in a better way. Let's put on some freaking boxing gloves and go in a ring and box it out like men, okay? We're not doing that now. We've got a lot of people with guns who are weak, who are, who are soft, who all they want to do is shoot. Put on some freaking gloves and go into a ring. Settle your differences that way, Okay? Young men who think they're tough and y'all have an argument, go into the ring. I guarantee you that'll make a, 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 a guy who thinks he's strong very weak when they get hit on the side of their face a couple times. And then you can't go and get your gun at that point because you just got to take that butt whooping. And that's what's happening now. People don't want to take their butt whooping and now they want to go get a gun and, and save face. So we got to get back to the way it used to be. And so those are three programs that are out there. They're very expensive. Now, if we had a hybrid of all of those in these major endemic cities, we can make a difference. So that's that population, the population at risk. The last population, again, and I would say there's two cohorts of people who, who do violence. The one I just mentioned, the people who've had, you know, years of oppression. They've had neighborhoods that don't have jobs. They don't have good educations. They have a, a pattern of violence that they're just having all the time. They have shooters in their family. They have parents who are divorced, who have been beating them. And so now it, it replicates itself. And so you have a, a problem in impoverished neighborhoods. So now why don't we give the resources, the money they need to do better, to get jobs, to have better education, 
to, to have their own securities instead of the police. Let's let them hire their own security who's going to prevent that. Let's have the nation of Islam, you know, the fruits of Islam to come in. They're well-respected. They're known for changing people around in jail. They do, they do true criminal rehabilitation. People that go in, like Malcolm, go in and was doing all kinds of stuff, come out a brand new person and doing great things in society. Let's let them be the model, okay? They're respected. And so that's that population. Now you have the others. And I say, when you look at cohorts, those are people who are at risk. The people at risk on the other side is everyone else. Because the way I look at it, anyone is a dime away from having a gun and shooting somebody. And so that means it has to be widespread in our violence prevention um, terminology and the programs we have. You have to have every program from the AKA's Little Sister program, from the NAACP youth program, from your church's youth program. Everybody got to pivot, show these stats, show the impact, show the risk and the protective factors, talk about preventive strategies, tell their kids they love them. We love you, kids. Let your kids know we care about you, despite the fact that we don't know what's all going through your head now. Let kids know you love them, okay? Let's do something different. Let's change the music. Let's change the video games where they learn how to shoot and have good manual dexterity because they've been shooting all day on these freaking games. And then now the game is a video. And so when they're out in the street and they see another young man and they, who they had beef with, it's another video. They don't look at it as another person, another young black man like me. They look at it as, man, this is the game. I just popped that dude. And you go on. There's no remorse. And so these are things that we can simply do. Take those things away. Change the, the, the you know, go to church. Put God in your life, man. God saves a lot of people. Let them save your child, okay? Let's let your kid who's been having all these problems from their post-traumatic stress disorder, let them see a different life. Let them go to church and you, mom, dad, go to church with them. Let families come together as one. Let's do some things that we can all have everybody on the block there for your kid. Let's all the blocks know each other. Let's say, hey, look, the next time your kid do this and I see them, I'm going to tell you, mom, so you can do something about it. And by the way, I saw your kid beat this kid and bully this kid. I'm going to tell you, mom, so you can get your kid and stop taking up for your kids. If your kids are doing bad, you got to do something. You don't necessarily have to whoop them. Put them in a, a mandatory violence prevention program. The police have their own program for violence prevention. They got different levels of violence prevention programs for the kids who's just on the border, for the kids who's severely at risk, and then for the kids who are almost about to go to jail. Let's do restorative justices. Let's change the way we think about how we punish our kids and let them see a different light. And so to me, again, it would take a whole collective effort that needs to be funding, that needs to be resources, but we can start from the bottom where we're doing all the things I just said, simple things, don't cost a lot of money. If you out there in America have a program that you're just trying to, you know, have, you know, balls and, you know, your kids, you know, doing Xenos and all these, you know, Jack and Jill. Now, maybe talk about a little bit of violence, because I guarantee if you ask those group of kids, have you guys know somebody who's been shot or killed, which I ask all the time on videos that I've had, where I've had 3,500 kids, black, white, Puerto Rican, and Martian, about 80% raised their hand and said, yes, I know somebody who's been shot or killed from gun violence. And you don't know what kind of trauma they have going on inside, because they're hiding it from you. They may be quiet. They may be subdued. They may be crying at night. They may be not sleeping. These are things that you don't even know. So let's talk about it. Let's have conflict resolution in schools, where it's mandatory once every month or twice a month. You're talking about 
the pitfalls of social media. Most of those problems that Dr. Pratt mentioned from the, from the gangsters shooting each other because of some beef online. Social media is a problem. People get in and they get upset and they want to save face. So they don't call people out and say, hey, let, let's go meet at Washington Park and duke it out. They go and they now hide behind bushes and go and pop out with a gun and shoot somebody over social media. That shouldn't be happening, y'all. So with that being said, God is first. We got to do something. The church has got to stop being in the church. Got to go out on the block. You got to go out on the block. I'm sorry. You can't be confined and speaking to the choir when all the kids in church are considered the good kids. Target the kid who you know is on that borderline between not being good or being bad and doing the wrong things. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Miss Angel. But, uh, I was I was muted. Do you have to go as well, Dr. Abdullah? Okay, then. So we're going to, uh, we're actually, we're just going to take like a little stretch break, like for a minute. Hope somebody can hear that. Um, we have people who do need to go. I want to just take a little bit of a break. So if you're filming, you can a minute. Um, and this way we don't hear the bustle and hustle of people leaving. Well, we, we convene in about one minute. That will be 1.31. And we will get... Um, we will get Dr. Abdullah to talk. And before Dr. Abdullah talks, I'm going to tie up and, um, and make a comment on some of the um, things that he and I talked about when we were preparing for the show. So um, if you're watching Facebook Live, you just tuned in to Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're going to come back at 1.31 p.m. The name of this forum is The Societal Pathogen, Gun Violence, The Cultures and the Cures. We started out of order because... Uh, Dr. McGee had to leave. Um, when we come back, uh, Dr. Abdullah will talk, and then Kobena will talk about the culture, the music, the lyrics, how many people have normalized what used to be a creative piece of um, hip-hop into a uh, almost a playbook on how to get revenge, how to kill, how to handle your personal problems. Thank you, and see you in about 60 seconds. I'm, I'm going to get at Scotty. you. I want to get in touch with... Uh, yeah, uh, let me go ahead and Robin take Kelly over for Angel until she comes back. Um, I went ahead and muted everybody. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Scotty Reed. I'm the founder of the Black Talk Media Project, which is a North Carolina-based nonprofit using the power of media to do some of the very things um, that you have heard talked about during this panel. Um Black Talk Media Project also manages Black Talk Radio Network, which two years in a in a row has been uh, ranked by the uh, one of the uh, media outlets uh, that track this type of stuff. I think it's Feedspot. Yeah, Feedspot is the name of the company, which is interestingly based in India. So it's an India uh, Indian uh, company. Uh, that's into uh, podcasting and distributing uh, different fees, but they've awarded us two years in a war, in a row, an uh, award for the top network number one. I think they had like twenty five on the list, but number one, two years running in two separate categories, and that's uh, uh, black digital radio as well as uh, African uh, diaspora category. So you know media. Uh, as as uh, we heard Brother Kwabana speaking on earlier and who will be coming back to speak is, you know, I think people underestimate uh, media. If you check out Angel's last V2V 
podcast, she shared some of those psychological studies on how music, uh, you know, the lyrics in the music impacts. It, it was like two different studies, but it's not it, it's not a whole lot of in-depth study uh, in that field, which I think as uh, the doctor was just talking about, we need we need uh, the U.S. government and I would say state governments, local governments um, and, and even, you know, um, organizations uh, should start funding those, those type of studies. I'm, I'm a true believer uh, in it. I don't need to see any more uh, studies, just life experience, um, the type of behavior when I was a teenager that I exhibited often reflected the type of media I was consuming. And I was a big Prince fan, so you can imagine if for any Prince fans out there and the type of music that he was making, then you know I was all I was always in pursuit of the opposite sex. Okay, because that's what his music was rooted in, romance and love and and things of that nature. Although, you know, his entire catalog, he covers a number of social issues. And I'm a big supporter of Clear the Airways Project because when we have these radio stations um, that are targeting uh, what they call the urban area, that's just cold in radio land for black. All right, but in the urban markets, when you have this destructive type, misogynistic, violent type lyrics day in, day out, just aimed at certain populations, and then you see, you know, that those level, the level of gun violence that they have in those cities is much higher than the places that they don't. So I've seen all the evidence I need to see, but others who may need convincing, and I certainly agree. Uh, with what the doctor was saying about the community got to get involved. I was just speaking to Elliot, uh, one of our media partners, Time for Awakening, uh, dot com today about why the community, the church, the mosque, um, the business leaders, the civic leaders, even the politicians themselves, how come more of them are not condemning this music? Couldn't it be that they need to be educated on it? Obviously, some of them do, but... You know, I'm just tired of hearing excuses of why uh, people just can't even just speak out on the obvious. So um, I think I wonder, let me bring a, uh, Angel back in and see if she's ready. I know she said 30 seconds. So uh, Angel, if you can hear me, um, you have to unmute yourself. So um, no, I don't believe that they're ready to start back up. So uh, yeah, the uh, Black Talk Media Project, um, you know, that's what we try to do is use media to give masses information. Okay, are, are y'all about ready to get back Yes, started? we're back. We're back, Scotty. Okay. And I do, um, uh, Dr. McGee had to leave, and he wanted uh, the Facebook Live audience to know that he has started a, uh, he has started a fund for Janari Ricks' family. Janari Ricks was nine years old when he was shot on his way to a friend's house, and he was a... Uh, a child who was on the honor roll and he aspired to do to become a community leader. So Dr. McGee started out with a $500 donation to the family. And for those of you who are wondering why we have our masks on because we're inside, it is the rule of the Black Fire Brigade here at 8404 uh, South Kedzie. Uh, they were doing their training for EMTs during the pandemic. Uh, they kept working and training people. And if you are coming down to see us, you must be masked to gain entry. 
So fortunately, we can be heard. We don't have any complaints about that. You, this is a new world, a new order. You have to get, look, get used to seeing people's faces obscured. Um, but the content is relevant, and we're not uh, obscuring the content. So I told Dr. Abdul I would talk about a few of the things to follow up on uh, Dr. McGee's com uh, comments for a segue. So one of the things he did mention is interpersonal violence. And um, if I do want to also interpersonal violence. So I do want to mention I am someone who is trained as an epidemiologist, and I believe that that is one of the smallest cost-effective things to do. I have designed a survey to determine which children are at risk. Years ago, I asked the 100 Black men of Atlanta to look at the survey. I wrote in, Dr. McGee uh, mentioned white papers several times. I have authored several white papers and given them to stakeholders like mayors and uh, mentoring organizations so that they could see violence prevention can start, as Dr. McGee said, at a low level and be cost effective. One of the things about a harm reduction model that I might be introducing to the audience for the first time, in a harm reduction model, you determine that you are at risk. How does that work? Uh, for instance, if you are using heroin, uh, you when you go to get your drugs, you might not be high, but you know that you're at risk for HIV AIDS, because that still can be transmitted, you're at risk for um, using a dirty needle and getting abscesses. So one of the things that I used to do when I did harm reduction is we actually give you a clean kit. We give you a kit so that when you shoot, shoot up, you are not getting the abscesses, you are abscesses, I'm sorry, and that you're not giving yourself uh, hepatitis or HIV AIDS. So that's a harm reduction model. So harm reduction isn't very cost isn't very costly. So what I have been advocating is that um, eventually African American men there will be a, a almost like a like art scale or something that's really codified to determine the levels of risk. And for the levels of risk, we have interventions. So borrowing from the public health lexicon or or uh, vocabulary here, infectious disease has three stages: primarily. Uh, secondary and tertiary disease stage. So at the tertiary disease stage, you need the highest intervention. So what I'm advocating for is that we identify people before they are they reach that stage. And in the gun violence model, I'm saying that the tertiary disease stage would be when you decide to pick up the gun to solve your personal or interpersonal conflicts. So if you just tuned in, this is Victims to Victorious. We're gonna go for about uh, 45 more minutes. And I'm going to throw it over to Dr. Abdullah. I'm grateful for my guests who are really, really getting numbers out here. They are contacting people and bringing down the morbidity, which is the sickness, and the mortality, which is the deaths. So, um, Dr. Abdullah, I'm throwing it over to you. So, um, I, I, I want to say thank you for Dr. McGee for sharing those words earlier. Uh, the thing that you know, I type, I take a different, a slightly different focus. Um, I'm a very realist, if that can be a thing. And so I really look at what our youth is going through and try to look at it through their lens to say what's actually tangibly possible. And though I think voting is also is always a great thing if you do it strategically and you're able to actually vote people in, the truth of the matter is that we've had our perfect candidates in before and our streets got worse. The truth of it is, is that, you know, even with the programming that's going on and the evidence to support it, that's almost overwhelming at this point, still nothing in terms of real resources are really being disseminated out. 
And so I think that it's going to take the community solving its own problems on this. Uh, the same way when protests happen, nobody had to tell you to go protest. Nobody had to tell our streets to go loot. When there's a party going on, all, it only takes one invite if it's a hot party and everybody's going to be there. If Beyonce decides to drop an album overnight, she does no promotion of that album. Everybody has that album. And so what we're really getting at is that we need codified structural change from the grassroots up. Our communities are unfortunately going to have to do a lot of this on their own and come to a rock bottom stage, just like we're changing any disease pattern that's going on. Even when we talk about our music and what's going on in our culture, everything that we usually name and measure are more or less symptoms of the problem and not the core problem. So if you look at gun violence, gun violence itself isn't the core problem in our community. It's a symptom of the lack of resources, the systemic racism, the purposeful divisions that go on, the ongoing redlining that's happening even as we speak in our south suburbs, where now violence is on the rise in our south suburbs of Chicago. And it used to be, you know, nice, notorious south suburbs that we've had for generations is now akin to Compton as it is to south central L.A. when you talk about south suburbs to Chicago or Northwest Indiana to the south side of Chicago. So we have to be able to get on code. We have to, as a community, say enough is enough, that we're not gonna tolerate it anymore, even when it comes to those who are perpetrating these acts of violence. So for some of them, they may be irrecoverable in the immediate sense, and we have to be serious and real about that. So we have to have a plan devised where we can help them exit these communities so that they're not in the line of fire. Many of these young men who we are pointing out as the worst of the worst, uh, the gang members, they've lost their entire family members to gun violence. So if I lose one person and I know who that person is, it'll be hard for you to find me any person in our community where if someone kills your loved one and you know who that is, you're not going to want retaliation. That is a normal human instinct and we need to stop making it seem like our children are abnormal. So when we reach them, we have to be able to say, listen, we understand how you feel. Let's try to recover you. Let's try to get you out of this heat and let's incentivize that. The same way we incentivize anything else in our communities from a public health point of view, we have to be able to incentivize the recovery and, reform and reformation of our youth. So they have to have programs where the big things for them, if you look at them, are going to be money, finances, it's going to be housing, it's going to be opportunity, and it's going to be social capital. Those are the four big things that all of our youth are really interested in. Those are the same things that drive the gun violence. That's what drives our music that we hear that really are reporting on the violence that they see. And then we, we think they're promoting it, but they're not technically promoters. They don't control the airways. They don't control the, the record companies, any of that kind of stuff. So when we say promotion of violence, who, who are we talking about, right? Are we talking about the young men who are speaking on their existence? Or are we talking about the people with the funds and the resources who actually control what gets to our ears? Are we talking about the people who are the reason why we hear the same five or six songs in rotation on every single uh, hip hop and R&B radio station when we know there's a bigger diversity of music out there? So we have to deal with that. Uh, when we're talking about our communities in terms of poor health from COVID, COVID isn't the main source of death for a lot of our people. It's their susceptibilities to it. So we're getting at the root of the things, which is that in our communities, we have historically been marginalized purposely based on race. We have historically been killed. Our health systems have been structured in a way that hurt us specifically. It's not accident. We have to stop talking in this whole generalized, you know, people of color, 
minority diversity kind of things. So just be very specific. The same way headlines are specific when they say 72% of African Americans are disproportionately dying of COVID as opposed to 30% of the population. That was specific and they named zip codes for those things. They were like, this zip code is worse than this zip code. When they talk about violence, they talk about Inglewood, South Shore, Auburn Gresham, the west side of Chicago. They don't start talking about general terms of black and brown and people of color so that anyone can have a fight for it. But whenever we talk about resources, inherently, we start speaking in a very general terms and we lose that same specificity that we have in our headlines that called attention to it. And to me, that's predatory. Whenever you market something and you say, hey, this is what we're gonna do, and you get resources and you start allocating resources and then you do something else with it, that's misappropriation of funds. And that's the entire government right now. That's our entire society. And the reason why that happens is because we as a community don't demand anything otherwise. We are not in a position where we can actually demand that we have our resources dedicated back to us. So when we talk about getting on code, a lot of that means we have to all live by a certain set of codes and it has to be a by any means necessary approach. That's what we do as, as physicians. So as a physician, if I get a very critically ill patient come in, they may have heart failure, they may have kidney failure, they may have a stroke in the past, but that person may have been shot in the belly. At no point do I stop dealing with the active bleeding belly wound and say, okay, well, let me ignore that and start dealing with these other factors. They get dealt with, we see them, we understand them and how they impact things, but we have to deal with the primary thing that we're changing and that's how our communities are. So if we're gonna say vote someone in, we have to vote someone in and we have to say, you need a specific agenda for these problems that you're talking about on your campaign. We need a specific agenda that respects this community and that deals with the leaders of this community. Like Dr. McGee said, we know what works in our community. We know that for years, when you had a child who was behaving badly before we had all of these kind of names like explosive personality disorder, ADHD, those kind of things, we know where to take them children. We, we instilled them in sports programs, whether it was martial arts or boxing or football or whatever. We got the mentors, we put them around men or women who were able to gather their ear and speak truth to them in that situation. And then sometimes we just got them up out of the city. So this is how you, all of those who you all who are older generations remember going to have to spend whole summers with your cousin down south or going somewhere else, you know, because maybe things got a little bit rough during the school year. So we have to have a functional thing in play. Then once we have respect for ourselves and build a good financial base in our community, then we can get our own hospitals. We can fund our own things. We can start producing things from up out of our own communities, whether it's fresh fruit and produce, whether it's community farming or agriculture, whether it's having the black businesses and places that are owned like this one, where you can say, we're gonna host a meeting here and not need to ask anybody outside of our communities. We're gonna then hold the other businesses accountable so that we can produce success from our youth. Our youth want to be successful. That, at the end of the day, that's what they want. They want something that's gonna be tangible and they see right now everybody lying to them. They tell them to go to school, do something like this and then you'll be successful, but yet they never see that. They never see any evidence of it. One reason they don't see any evidence is because there's very little evidence out there. The other reason is that the few successful people who are able to come out of these communities aren't able to return to the communities because they're incentivized out of it. So they wanna go live somewhere where they think it's safer. They wanna go live somewhere where socially it's more acceptable. They wanna live where the bars are, where things are, where they can focus on themselves. And we need to rebring that talent back to the communities, put them back in front of our students in these public schools and use the everyday public school schedule to, to really push all of these things. Dr. McGee said once or twice a month, we need to be talking about conflict resolution. 
No, that needs to be a curriculum every day from the time that you're in kindergarten forward. Every day you should be talking about how to resolve your conflicts in a safe and healthy way, right? Why are we teaching geometry and trigonometry? I'm somebody who's got a biology and chemistry degree. I'll tell you this as a physician, I rarely if ever use those things. There's no reason why a student should be in those classes all day. Maybe if they want to take it, take it. But if not, we need to focus on it. Then we get to the music. We get to the representation of these problems that get promoted, right? We have to then go and say, okay, well, if we can change the reality, then they'll rap about something different. If they've got something different involved that they can be successful, then they'll oftentimes choose the path of least resistance. That's a law of physics. That force and energy always travels the path of least resistance. Right now, for our youth, unfortunately, promoting the violence and talking about it is the only thing that people outside of our communities are willing to pay them for. And that's the truest travesty here. And so I'm supporting anything that's gonna be grassroots led, that's gonna actually focus on changing the problem, that's gonna do it in a way that listens to our youth who are hurting, who are suffering, who are dying at the hands of themselves and people outside the community every single day. I'm here to support that. At the end of the day, my name at Gula just means servant of God in Arabic and the servant of God's people. So that's what my job is to do, is to go wherever people need me to be to actually help change what I see every day in the ERs and trauma banks. Thank you, Dr. Well, I just I have a few comments before I do the segue for Hosanna, and that is- um, I have a few comments before I do the segue to, uh, uh, Dr. McGee was talking about cure violence, for instance, um, group. they've been able to do two things. They have been able to get federal funding when other people have not been able to do so. And Dr. Uh, Slutkin's group, cure violence, that used to be called ceasefire, the violence interrupters are able to identify who will be shot next after the shooting that they're dealing with. And they do this based on their social circles. So their social circles tell them, I'm just, I'm, these are not real people, but just so we can, I'm just gonna make an example. If Miguelito was shot by Joselito, then they know that um, Jose Sr. is looking for him. It's just that simple. And that's not something they're gonna share with the police. And so also with Cure Violence, you have quite a few Spanish-speaking outreach workers in Chicago. And that's very important because the, out, the, the quality of your outreach looks the best when the outreach worker or the person giving you direct services is from the same ilk and from the same culture. They don't miss nuances and people just naturally have more respect from people, for people who come from their culture versus people who are outsiders. So speaking of culture, we're going to, I want to thank Dr. Abdullah, and we're going to throw it over to Kwabena, who spent a lot of time wondering, I, didn't say, I shouldn't say wondering, he spent a lot of time proving that the normalcy of violence is on our airways. And so that children who don't have a better, who don't have a parent to inform them of morality and of ethics are tuning to music. And, and listening, this is what this rapper did, this is what he sings about, and the blur between the reality and the art for Quimena shows up in the number of people who listen to the lyrics and then commit violence. So Quimena, go ahead and tell the, uh, the viewers here on Facebook Live what you're doing and um, why you think it's important. Sante Sala, appreciate being here with the doctors in the front room, Dr. Abdullah, Dr. Prince. My cousin or something was like really hitting on the head with the line. I don't need to say much, but I do want to say that the music that our children and our youth are inundated with is pretty much being forced to them. 
we do a conscious hip hop show out of Gary called the Weekly Wrap Up, where we play conscious hip hop and classic funk. We don't have enough time to play all the good conscious hip hop that these artists are making, these brothers and sisters are making. Brothers and sisters will understand that in this current climate of ratchet radio that they're not going to get played on these killer radio stations. But still, like you said, they want to, they want the fame too. They want to, of course, you want to be heard. You put your your soul into this music and what have you, into these songs, you want to be heard. But they still refuse to demean, denigrate, debase, and call for their people to be killed. And so there's a lot of them out there with quality, great music. And that can be that can be heard. And so once we get this crap off the air, there's plenty of good music out there that's being made that's going to fit right in and help us to uplift and what have you. Life does imitate art, but art also imitates life. That goes both ways. And, and you know, and we talk about this once we get it off. You know, you all are dealing with the physical, but there's mental issues and things like that. We got a, one of our good brothers who works with us, Dr. Obari Cartman. I don't know if you know Dr. Obari. While we're over here now, he's on the other side at Corey, you know, got some youth over there dealing with the breakdown of the lyrics of uh, our FPG. Yeah, Duck. Yeah. Of Duck. Yeah, those lyrics. But those lyrics, I mean, I didn't know who he was until, you know, I saw the killing and all that. Then I looked, then I heard the song. I was like, oh, they play that song on the radio. Yeah. They play that song on the radio. And it's like, when I'm listening to them, I'm like, why are they playing this? And I'm already hearing so much appalling, pornographic, violent music. I'm like, why are they playing that song? That's a straight up violent, I'm going to get you back song. And so we're, we're looking at what's going on right now with this uptick in the violence. Not too different from what happened in 2016 when we had between 11 and 12 people shot every day in Chicago in 2016, every day. And if it was 11 or 12, 11 of them were of African descent. And so that's around the same numbers we got today. Those same numbers, maybe a little higher, I don't know, but it's pretty close to the same numbers. But we, we're looking at it as these are the youth who were hearing songs like let it end, try me, try me. I'm gonna get his whole MF and family. Uh, this, this sister, a young sister out of Detroit, Dej Lowe, who went on to go to the, be invited to the Essence Festival, to perform at the Essence Festival. Songs like Hot N-I-G-G-A from Bobby, Bobby S.H. Murder, who I think may have just got out of jail today for telling on himself in his music. But this song was all about shooting and killing black people. One of the first lines of his hit song is when he shot the guy, he twirled around and fell out, like Laquan, like Laquan McDonald did when that policeman shot him. He twirled around and fell out and he kept on shooting. But th these are the same things that are going on in the music. While we've been here about an hour, the two killer radio stations in Chicago, which by the way are both European owned, no heart radio, they call them iHeart, they're owned by Europeans, owned by, uh, ran by a guy named Bob Pittman. And we put the blame on Bob Pittman and his managers and those, his board. We put that, they're the ones who can say tomorrow, we're not playing no more songs talking about shooting up blocks. You guys have too much killing going on in Chicago. We're going to stop that. So Bob Pittman bears blame for that. Uh, we talk about Donald Crawford Jr., Crawford Broadcasting, which is Power 92.3 out of Hammond, which broadcasts all throughout the Chicagoland area. And they're worse than GCI. They play gospel, conservative talk all around the country. But when it comes to Chicago, is I'm going to kill you. Preach. I don't trust no end. All I trust is my gap. Amen. I'm finna kill ends in the building. She want an F. I say, get on top and roller coaster. This is what, oh, this is, I know you look like that, but this is what they play constantly for our children. Y'all know the new song that just came out yes, two days ago uh, with Cardi B Gone 
and uh, Megan Pete, we refused to call her a male Horace Pete. And, and so it's like, but you know, that didn't even really surprise me because that's what I hear all the time on these radio stations, it's straight porn. But when you degrade and demean our sisters like that, our women like that, that's some of the reasons why you see an uptick in the shooting and killing the women. They're, they're being dehumanized. I mean, Megan got shot in both feet, allegedly by another slop hop, ignorant rapper. Allegedly, she got shot both uh, twice in each foot. You know, like, uh, who was that? I think it was Bad Bob or something from that Judge Roy Bean movie did that to somebody. And this is what he did to his so-called girlfriend, allegedly. And so now she's saying that we're not protected as women. But then you're making music about, uh, you know, just totally degrading yourself. But we hear that all the time from the city girls. The only female rapper that our youth were, were exposed to before three years ago, maybe two years ago, was a sister named Nikki Minaj. We call her Nikki Garbage. The only one that was consistently played. Then finally they came to Cardi B Gone that we just talked about, Cardi B. And Cardi B was the first rapper to have four songs. Her first four singles were in the top 10. That didn't happen naturally. That was not a natural occurrence. They did that. They pushed that to us. It demeans and degrades our women folk. Even a lot of these youngsters, they want to be hard and been wanting to be hard for a while, of course. I mean, you want to be, you know, that you tough. Scarface, people wear these Scarface shirts on. Even Scarface, when Scarface was confronted with this bomb he had to blow up his car with, there was a child in the car. I'm not doing it. He didn't even do it because there was a child in the car. Nowadays, like the good doctor just said, you know, if you kill somebody in my family, there was a young brother dribbling a basketball in an alley and they took him and they shot and killed him. And so the guys got convicted, I think earlier this year, but not recently, they finally got convicted of it. But he was like, well, somebody in his family shot and killed my brother. And they shot him in the store where my mama was at. So they had my mama in harm's way. She got shot in that case. So mama got shot. So we, I'm going to get the little nine-year-old, seven-year-old, this recent nine-year-old case. Same thing. He was looking for the child from what we understand. And so when you get these, these low-hanging fruits, you get these people who uh, you arrest them and all that, then a couple of days later, we had a 13-year-old, a two-year-old. That that's the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you know, we, we have to deal with that. We can't have people out here shooting our children or shooting our people. But what is the underlying reason? What's force-feeding this, this, these messages to the masses of our people? And I was trying to bring it around to what I was talking about. We've been here about an hour, a little over an hour. And I guarantee you, on those two radio stations, they've been playing, they played at least 10, 15, 20 songs telling us to shoot and kill each other, calling us ends, calling our women folk B's and H's, constantly dehumanizing us, constantly telling us to be on hard drugs, hard liquor, to disrespect each other. They don't stop. This is 24-7, 365, audio assault, audio rape on the minds of the masses of our children, and it's mass media. They know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it, and they have to be stopped. And so before we get, you know, go to some questions or whatever, I just want to say that we've been working on this movement for quite a while. I mean, for quite a while. I was, you know, dealing with the sister on social media a little bit this morning about Tupac. And I remember when Tupac was, was killed in, in 96, when, when Tupac was killed, and we were at a, a NESB, an engineer, we were at a NESB meeting in Detroit, and we already had the petition to try to get 106 jams at that time to stop playing music that dropped in bombs. This was in 96, so years ago. So it's been a, a struggle for a while. Then we worked with uh, Concerned Citizens Against Violence and then Clear the Airways Project. But we have a campaign right now and a petition also on change.org, Clear the Airways. 
and we're demanding that the radio stations in Chicago and beyond immediately cease and desist playing this vile, vulgar, and violent music. We're demanding that their advertisers, we pointed out 30 of them, stop financing this because these commercial radio stations make their money by advertisement. And they are financing this. Real quick, Rush Limbaugh disrespected Sandra Fluke uh, several years ago. He called her sluts and also a couple other things. He did it for two days. He lost 13 sponsors right away. They disrespect and demean and call for our daughters to be shot and killed and to be strippers constantly. Don't stop. And our daughters are just important, if not more important, than Sandra Fluke. These sponsors need to stop doing this. And the last one we did was the FCC. The last demand was enforce your decency standards. You have decency standards which state that uh, the they cannot play music or content that is indecent and profane between the hours of 6 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. Why 10 o'clock at night? Because that's when our children may go to sleep. They support First Amendment rights to free speech, but they said in the case of our children, you can't be doing this. After 10, they give them a safe haven to play a little bit more provocative music. But they go on to say that obscene content is never allowed. Never allowed. And so when you turn your radio on, when you go get in your car and you hear somebody talking about she SD with no hands, that's obscene. When you hear a rapper says that his B is a 10 or whatever, he gonna eat the P like spinach, she gonna S the D on the way to the dentist, that's obscene. And they target our children with that. And then here comes the violence. Here comes the violence. Oh, and, uh, by the way, I'm gonna run up in your house with the shoddy and your mama might be at home. I heard this on the radio yesterday. Run up in the house with the shoddy and your mama might be at home. There ain't even a conflict going on. He just brings that up. Uh, the baby, the baby, I'll, I'll, I'll stop at this. The baby had the number one song in the world when George Floyd was terrorized and, and murdered. The number one song in the world called Rockstar. He's not using uh, a guitar for his Rockstar status. He's using a gun. My daughter's a G. She saw me shoot it in before the age two. That's one of the lines in the song that was number one in England, number one in uh, Switzerland and New Zealand. All around the world, it top 10 if not number one. Then it hit in the US, is, I think it may still be number one right now for like six or seven weeks about shooting and killing Africans the number one song during this time. No, 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 like Malcolm was saying. No more days like that. Got to put a stop to it. Got to put a stop to that propaganda. Even if you don't believe it has a role, that crap shouldn't be on the radio. And they only target our children with it, specifically our children. GCI, Crawford, I mean, not Crawford, GCI, which is iHeart, they also have KISS. Same age group, same uh, demographic, except KISS is for young white children. GCI is for young Africans. Every time KISS gets one sexual reference, GCI gets 25. Every time KISS gets one violent reference, GCI gets 50. A 50 to 1 ratio of violence on the station from the same corporation that targets African children as compared to European children. That's KISS. Gotta stop. Okay, so if we, um, we, we're going to stay for about five more minutes. We got a late start. I want to thank uh, Terry at the um, Black Fire Brigade. I want to thank the audience. We have a live audience as well. And of course, we have the Facebook Live audience on the Black Talk Radio Network. Um, I am going to ask Scotty to tell me if there are any questions about gun violence, the culture of gun violence that Quivena addressed, that our youth are being inundated with messages about disrespecting women and about solving problems with violence. So if there are no questions, um, I'm going to um, throw it back over here to um, 
We're going to start with Dr. Abdullah. I'm going to ask you to make a closing remark and also tell the listeners uh, where where they can reach you. Tell the viewers and listeners where they can reach you. We are broadcasting in Chicago because Scotty's me. Um, my show, Victim to Victims to Victorious, is normally broadcast from Cleveland, Ohio, sometimes from Connecticut and Massachusetts. But he wanted to get the word out about the Black Talk Radio Network here further in the Midwest. What we do, we focus on the issues. So again, I want to thank the audience. I want to thank the um, people who are watching. So um, Dr. Abdullah, you said a lot about the the idea that we can police our, I don't like the word police, that we can, that we can change things from our own community. And so what are, and the other question I have for, if you don't mind, if you can use some personal disclosure, you said that you, uh, you know about murder in your family. Do you feel comfortable uh, talking about some of the feelings you could have, you had, why you didn't become retaliatory, how that's impacted you on a personal level? Um, so I'll, uh... So yeah, of course, I'm happy to, uh, and I'll keep it quick. Um, So when my brother was murdered and when my best friend, who's really like a brother to me, it was just murder, um, you you try to clap back in a way that you have the ability to. And thankfully for me, you know, even though I may have had those thoughts of retaliation, there were a lot of guys who in the streets who are very street oriented, who are like, no, we need you to do what you do. What would you want to do? And thankfully, both people in both those instances told me before they passed what they were proud of me for doing and how they wanted to see me engage. And the main thing they told me to do was never turn my back on the streets. And so they said that, you know, as a doctor, we need you to take care of our grandmas, our moms. We need you to fight violence in any way that you possibly can. And so that's what I do. I try to execute in a way that I'm equipped to do. My only tool out here, I don't, I don't roll around, you know, with a, with a 30 clip gun and all of that trying to blast down my brother. My tool is to save lives. And so that's all that I'm trying to do with any means possible. But those emotions are there. They're natural to be there. You go through a slew of emotions when someone dies. In fact, it's a lot of mothers after their sons are killed in the streets who are encouraging the guys in the streets to go get the clap back and to go retaliate. And that's understandable. It's uh, that a family says, I don't want my son to die in vain. People are laughing and joking over my son and daughter who's been killed. So I think that that's one thing. But uh, you know, in closing, You know, the one thing I would say is that for me, I think that getting our youth involved, our program, the Medical Careers Exposure and Emergency Preparedness Program, teaches our youth how to respond in these situations, teaches them conflict resolution skills. We partner with organizations that fight violence, and we also mentor them through any medical career path that they want to go into, whether that's nursing, doctor, ultrasound techs, all the way up the line to being head surgeons. And so reach out to us. Our email is youth. C M C E E P at gmail.com. So that's U C M keep at gmail.com. You reach out to us if you know a principal, if you know a high school, especially uh, that we can be connected with. We bring all the programming for free to these schools. And so I would say reach out to us. And, and even if you have questions, you want us to talk about these issues, do it. But let's start where we know. Let's start with the things we know. And Dr. Mike McGee said the Nation of Islam is one. You know, because of rhetoric, we let people outside of our community tell us who not to and who to follow. But we know damn well that in these prisons, those are the only thing that are performing our our people. And we know outside of the prisons, the only time that our projects have ever been cleaned up in the worst hoods were when those Freedom of Islam came. And all of these groups that we talk about, whether it's ceasefire or that, those are just pseudo groups who are trying to take the same halfway, you know, protocols to try to work. And they have worked. 
But imagine if we went the whole nine in a way that our youth actually want to be interacted with, with people who have also formally and fully reformed their lives and don't have any recidivism rate like some of these other groups. But right now we start with whatever we got. Any groups we got, bring them to the table. Let's get this work done. We've hit rock bottom. Let's acknowledge it. Let's have an intervention. And then let's move forward and try to change our streets from the bottom up. And then the top will have to listen to us. They will have to bend, no matter whether it's the radio station, the politicians, everybody will bend once we force them to, once we get our own things together and make a decision that that's what we really want and are demanding from our people that serve us. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, Dr. Dr. Abdullah. And Pavela, you have the, the last word as a guest. Like my brother said again, and like when I first came on, I talked about it, it's up to us. Again, we've been 22 years, we ain't even say so. Crazy this guy, Bill Clinton, he recently he said, you dealing with problems of oppressed people. When you make your first mistake, is if you let the oppressor out the hook. And while we know they're responsible for a lot of these issues, these oppressive issues that we have today, that it's our responsibility to clean it up. And it is really like Chairman Fred Jr. says, it's embarrassing being oppressed. A lot of things, that, it's really embarrassing, a lot of things that happen to us. And you know, me and the doc both living in Gary, I mean, our conditions over there are embarrassing, the physical conditions of our city. And so, what we got to do is change it. We also work with the National Black Leadership Alliance, and we came up uh, at the end of last year, early this year, with a new code of behavior with things like, you know, make your mother proud of you not just because you're her son. Have her to love you not just because you're her son. Um, things like how things like how you, like talk, how you, to how you talk to your sisters, sisters. how you, how you talk, talk to your people. people. Things like that. Uh, be careful how you speak to your people, how you respect yourselves and your, your body what you put into your body, things like that. So we have a code of behavior that's trying to deal with a lot of these things. Is it messing up? Okay, maybe my power is out of there. Can I go on you real quick? No, no, you good, Quabana. Quabana's okay, so, good. Um, you still, are you unmuted? Unmute, unmute yourself. Okay, just, yeah, 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 yeah. okay right, right on, Scott. Scott. I appreciate you. I'm just, just wrapping up. up. Um, we got a petition got out a there, petition change that over. Change that over. You mentioned it earlier. So, uh, so uh, sign a petition. Sign a petition. Don't, Don't give no money. Don't give no money. Just trying to get some money. Trying to get some money, but we're not seeing none of that money. <laughs> so read it, sign it, and share that petition. Uh, we've been working with uh, a lot of brother Bernard, Sister Terry, Sister Layla, and we put together this petition and this whole packet for the FCC, challenging them to enforce their decency art uh, ordinances on these stations. Please and check out our our. We've been on debate on the state of black music, the sad state of black music with the children. We've been asking them, oh, you, the people, what percentage of music that drops in bombs on us? What percentage of the music that call out women folk these and ages? And what percentage of the music brags about and encourages us to shoot and kill each other? That's on our YouTube channel, so check that out too. But well, really appreciate being here. We're gonna win, like Brother Idea TMB said, we're gonna win. You know, we gotta we gotta win. We have no choice. But until we win, and even then we gotta keep struggling. I like the word win, that's why I like the word win. That's the reason why Scotty and I chose the word victims to victorious. And if you did if you do see our artwork, um our graphics, you see that instead of a bullet being discharged from a gun, there is a flower discharged from a gun. So I wanna thank everyone on Facebook. I want to thank the crew that you didn't see. We have Corey filming. We have Carlos, our RV driver. We have Terry, uh, who allowed us to come into the Black Fire Brigade, and they do a good job of taking uh, 
uh, young adults who could be at risk for the demographics that we're discussing and turning them into EMTs and firefighters. Follow me on Twitter. My name is On Air Angel. Look at the Black Talk Radio Network for other shows. And again, Quabena, uh, how can give them your uh, Twitter feed or your email or something? Clear Airways. Clear Airways. At, at gmail. Gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. And Dr. Abdullah? Uh, you can get at me at um, Doc Off the Block uh, at Instagram. So, so my email is gcmp at gmail.com. My Instagram is going to be Doc, D O C O F F T H E T H E L O C K, Doc Off the Block. Thank you. This is the live version of the show. We hope to post an edited version uh, with some more um, some more things put in for informational and um, uh, for informational purposes, so that people who couldn't join right now could join later. Thank you for listening to Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network. I'm Angel Fall. So.